Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Anthony Bourdain, and you're listening to The Trip. Get ready for the ride. Those words from earlier this year feel like a couple lifetimes ago. On June 8th, 2018, a few months after the first season of this podcast wrapped, my partner at Roads and Kingdoms, the tall guy, Anthony Bourdain, killed himself. A lot of things died with Tony, most of all his relationships with his family and his closest friends, but also a lot of our plans and our dreams with him. But so many more things have survived, and after a summer of just trying not to lose our shit around here, we're pretty dedicated to making sure that the trip, this podcast, is one of the things that survives him. Not least because I spent way too much time convincing Tony that podcasts weren't some millennial curse, and I actually got him to work on this one with me. But I also need to keep going because the world that he was so good at describing kept on spinning. So, we're changing the format. We're going weekly. A little less sound design, more talking shit, more rounds of drinks, more getting out into the world. In the upcoming weeks, I'll be drinking smoked apple hooch with a bartender in northern Russia, talking fermented cactus with a Norteña who washed up in the hills of southern Mexico, pondering the fate of the world's last great commune on a former military base in Copenhagen. Before we start out for those shores, though, I needed to sit with two people who knew Tony like I did. So this episode, our first one back, is from a hotel room in Beverly fucking Hills with my other partner at Roads and Kingdoms, Matt Goulding, and with the man whose suite we've commandeered for this episode, chef, activist, crazy person, and beautiful man, Jose Andres, whose episode of Parts Unknown with Tony in Asturias, Spain, aired yesterday. I'm your host, Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening, still, to The Trip. What's amazing thing is that I don't even know if Jose knows that we're in his room. <laughs> so he's going to walk in here and see the two of us with headphones on and a bottle of mezcal and think, what kind of grab ass is going down <laughs> in my room? And how did this happen? Yeah. Anyway, we are uh, in Los Angeles because we went to the Emmys last night, which, like being in a suite in Beverly Hills, is just not something that I had really picked uh, out in my own future, uh, and we won an Emmy Award with Kate Kunith, our director, uh, with our partners at CNN. We won an Emmy for the series that we shot that was just like a, a super funky down-home exploration of six different immigrant enclaves in Los Angeles. Beverly Hills was not one of them. It was not the Beverly Hills uh, <laughs> Anglo Enclave or whatever. Yeah, we but we shot it with Tony. It was the last. It was the last project we ever shot with Bourdain, uh, and it's just been this um, incredibly fucked up combination of emotions. Like, yeah, it's a it's a really strange cocktail of emotions. I mean, it's like just when this year could not get any more surreal. Last night happened, 
And, um, you know, I think for us as Emmy virgins, you know, the, the high is really high and, you know, you just, it all feels totally unexpected and lovely and over the top and wonderful. But then you look at um, people who have been here doing it for a really long time, like the fine folks at ZPZ. And well, there you it is. think, what the <laughs> hell is happening? Is it the, the man himself has walked in the door? You, you win an Emmy and that's what you do now. We, <laughs> you win two Emmys and that's what you do. You, you, you well, they going. give you a master key to every that's hotel what, room. You, <laughs> you keep going? <laughs> that's what you do. Congrats, guys. Oh, thank you so much, man. Thank keep you. going, keep going. No, no, join in the mix here. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm peeing. I have to pee, yeah. people! <laughs> Oh, I cannot believe, guys. Yeah, it's all, it's really surreal. Um, a pretty wild, bittersweet kind of moment. I don't think that really encapsulates. Well, it's you cheat, I mean, you cheated. <laughs> you cheated because you have an angel looking after you up there. So that's a big cheat, unfortunately. Touched, touched by an angel. And, and you know, he's been up there making sure that what was fair happened. So you cheated, unfortunately, because you had Tony. I think he's got an account with the Academy voters up there. And Tony the was right there, sitting down somewhere. Uh, what happened? We need to learn how to see him. Uh, but he was there, and you know it. So anyway. Well, you know this thing. Thank you for a good job, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. He, he hated all the Tux events and the fancy this and that, but he loved the Emmys. He would come here and roll real deep and be at the chateau and bring the whole crew and the fact that last night i mean we won our emmy for our you know small project but he won an emmy for best writing which is the one that he'd been looking for all these years and never won when he was alive and that's when helen started crying and you yeah, know it just right. and it was right at the beginning of the ceremony and it was the, just the fact that it was the one that he'd always wanted i mean how fucked up is the whole night, I mean, for for those reasons, too. Well, it's also extremely fucked up that somehow in 15 years of making some of the best written television that he never won that award before. Um, to watch, I don't know, to watch Lydia go up there and, and, and claim the award on his behalf was, I think, a deeply, a deeply emotional moment for everybody in there. And... You know, we, we had a run with Tony uh, on the podcast um, that was called The Trip, and it was a six-episode season that we did earlier this year. And, you know, like like all of us have been sitting there since Tony killed himself and just like, well, what the fuck was that and what do we do now? And it's the same thing with this podcast. And I've, you know, been talking with Josie, our producer, and just around, like, how do you restart a podcast that opened every time with Tony's voice saying, you know, here we are, this is what we're going to do, and, and just, you know, was he was the absolute engine for having gotten it made. So the only way I could think to do it is with you two guys. And obviously Jose had a different relationship, Matt had a different relationship, but there's something in, in having known Tony the way that you guys did that makes me want to talk to you when we start this show up again. Um, well, cheers. Salud. Let's Salud. start with that. Salud, guys. So that's what I want to do. We're, we're, we're going to restart this thing, and every week we're going to have a new conversation, and it's all going to be in, in his name and his memory. Um, well, I mean, 
tell us a little bit about the experience. What was that like being able to go back to your to your homeland and show them where you where you grew up, your whole sort yeah. of early well, years? I didn't give a damn about having cameras. Uh, actually, for me, the only thing I cared was, you know, having a good time with my friend and showing him the place I love the most. Um, uh, oh, and for me to be able to be showing him, that was very special. And this has been a dream of yours for a long time with Tony, to go <laughs> to, go to Asturias yeah. with one of your best friends. But then I was very nervous because, you know, he goes to the most amazing places on earth where, you know, he does very wild things. Quite frankly, the things we did together were great. But what I want to see is the things we were not together because for different reasons, uh, to try to maximize time. A few times we broke apart. He spent a whole morning going for gooseneck barnacles, <laughs> and he didn't come for gooseneck <laughs> barnacles right. because I explained to him what we had to do. I'm like, oh no, man. I have enough with jiu-jitsu, you know? <laughs> Where he was getting beaten every morning uh, playing jiu-jitsu somewhere. <laughs> and, and I feel bad because he invited me to go with him three days, and I will go bed at 5 a.m. having cigars alone in the streets of Oviedo. And, and I swear to God, every morning I just, I didn't wake up. And he would send me, you know, text message saying, loser, you're a loser. And I'm like, yes, I am. Uh, so anyway, I cannot wait to see those moments that uh, I was not present. I can tell you, we had a competition. Uh, in Asturias, we have uh, this type of bowling, which is the, mom the coolest bowling in the history of mankind. And, this is the bolos. Yeah, the uh. bolos. And Tony and I, we had a competition after they gave us a class. Uh, after I almost killed one little children with one of the balls <laughs> that I think you'll see. <laughs> oh, no. And uh, him and I, we did the competition, and I'm not going to tell you who won, uh, mm -hmm. but was a good competition. And you know what? He got into it. He really got into it. He is. You are super competitive. But, but so is Tony, right? Tony, super. And it was fun because actually it's a sport I never uh, played before, believe it or not. In my in my home region, and since then, I've already played two or three times because now I stop, and I think people read on the newspaper that I play bowling with Tony Burden, and now everywhere I go, people are like challenging me. Come on, <laughs> I dare you to play bolos. I'm like, really? <laughs> so how's your game? Oh, it's amazing, but, <laughs> but, but I think people are going to learn that bolos can be even so much more interesting because um, and the bolos in Asturias, you'll see, sometimes you score not with how many pins you drop, but where the ball leave. Huh. Sometimes the ball has to leave by the right and other times the ball, the ball has to leave by the left, like almost you are scoring in a goal. Huh. Huh. And that makes this game super different and super genuine and then is when you see we almost broke the head of a little kid but that's uh, a Who conversation happened? for another time he just happened to be standing between you and victory yeah <laughs> very, much. <laughs> duck. very much duck young man i mean i think for for me personally we've talked a lot about this i think over the last few months like the good part uh is that what Tony cared about more than hearing his own voice, what he cared about more than, you know, sort of um, impressing upon the world his vision of how it's supposed to be was 
letting everyone else speak. I mean, the entire basis of his show was that. The entire basis of his career was that, was giving a voice to people out there who have an interesting thing to say, who have a meal meal they want to share, who have a story that they feel is pertinent to the way the world works. If you think about it, what he was doing is bringing walls down and, and building bridges and connecting people and telling people don't be afraid for those that are not like us. Don't be afraid to sit down in a crappy place and order every single thing you don't recognize on the fucking menu. <laughs> and so if you tell me Tony was just ahead of his time, he's a guy that began bringing down walls while some people just were thinking that walls were the solution to all the issues that we face. Now that it's gone, what what do you think food media, television, journalism, like what what should people do to kind of build upon the foundation that Tony set for us? I think it's going to be hard now. Um, to the degree he always called bullshit where he saw it, uh, he will do it sometimes in a very drastic way, but more often than not, he will do it in a very humble, polite way, uh, in Tony's way. So I think without Tony, we're going to be losing that voice that called the bullshit where he saw it. And, and I only hope that everybody will remember that Tony was genuine as nobody we ever knew. I was talking about that with somebody recently about, you know, a lot of people claim imposter syndrome, you know, like where you reach a level of fame and you think you didn't deserve it and that you felt, you know, odd having gotten the platform that you got. And most of the time it feels like imposter syndrome. Those who claim it are just bullshitting. They actually think they're the shit. Right. And that they deserve everything that good that's happening to them. Tony would talk about this so much. And I just, I always was thinking somewhere... Tony knows he deserves this because he was also this ridiculous set of talents, right? He was a writer. He was, you know, he was tall and handsome, great on television, but just this incredible voice talent, like all of this stuff. But he was genuine. He genuinely did not believe that he deserved what he'd gotten. And that kind of fueled what you're talking about, Jose. I mean, we have a wall of, of like really ill-advised like calf tattoos of Tony Bourdain's face that people have like inked themselves with. At Roads and Kingdoms, like, he moved people, but he always thought, I don't know why I'm here, but since I'm here, I'm going to try to make some good out of that. And that's a that's a really high moral standard, but, too. Uh, by the way, all this nonsense we're talking here, uh, it's uh, thanks to this amazing mezcal we're drinking, Arroqueño. It's called La Locura, and the, the mezcal maker, the mezcal master is Eduardo Ángeles. Um um, it's from Santa Catarina, Minas, in Minas. the heart of Oaxaca, in Ocotlan, actually one of the best painters in Mexico in the history. Uh, 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 Ocotlan de Morales, He's... as they call it, one of the best painters ever in the heart of Oaxaca. He built the, the church himself, <laughs> and this is a maduration of 20, 25 years, and they put this in terracotta pots and has had two distillations. Can you believe this shit? Two times is still, man. So it's super smooth, it's super rich. You can drink, um, feel Oaxaca, and every every time you bring the mezcal into your lips, it's so smooth, it's almost like it's kissing you. So Eduardo, right now you don't know, but my friend, the mezcal you made, you're kissing all of us. And you know what? 
I like the rainbow, so I don't give a damn. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by La Locura Mezcal. <laughs> and Lalo Angeles. <laughs> so you know something about Lalo. Lalo comes from an old uh, mezcal family as, as many generations back before this famine, you know, uh, in the early 1900s. So they've been making it ever since. He did his time, like so many Oaxacans, in America. He spent a couple years up here, and he was working as a janitor at a middle school up in Cupertino. Right, of course. He was working as a paleta man in Los Angeles. He was, I don't know if he was selling oranges, but he was like hustling at intersections in LA. Can you believe it? I mean, when you go to see this guy do what he does, that creates the liquor that's kissing all of us right now, you're like, this is a genius. Like, this is a talent that was made to be making mezcal and to be producing beautiful spirits. And, you know, it just makes you... I I had this conversation with him when I was down there in August. I was like, you know how little Americans understand about the talents of the people who are cleaning their gyms at night? (laughs) You know? Like, how... Like, what an incredible resource and treasure there are and these guys who are just, like, overlooked. And Lalo's very... He's very zen about his American experience. He was like, it was so fun. I met Vietnamese people. And it's so funny because I was there, I think, in that town, and they have the market once a week. And my first trip to Oaxaca was, I was tired that you could not find a mole in the traditional Oaxaca fashion with turkey, Mm. with the guajolote. Everybody had chicken. It was the, not even good chicken. It was the, the motherfucking chicken that came from somewhere in the heart of China or America. So-so chickens. And a poor chicken. And I wanted to eat guajolote. And then finally I go to uh, Ocotlana. And I see a woman with the guajolote, the turkey. And I'm like, shit, great. And I kept following where the woman were coming from. I will go into the other direction. And I finished to the end of town. I couldn't find the shop where they will sell the turkeys. And I will walk my way back. Three hours later, I couldn't find the shop that sells you the turkeys. Finally, my wife was smart and like, why we don't ask the woman with the turkey? <laughs> well, was never a shop of guajolote. Every one of those women came from the mountains and every one of them were there to sell you their guajolote. And anyway, that's uh, a good lesson to learn that sometimes there is no shop, that sometimes there is not meat place, that sometimes it's the woman walking the streets, the ones that maybe if you ask, they will sell you their bird. So amazing. Did, but you, that, buy, did you buy the Oh yeah, the turkey, I bought you? it. They charged me $10 uh, for the water to give to the turkey because he was about to die because I put it on the taxi and we went to Midland and other places and I took them to Hermanas Mendoza, the amazing Zapotec restaurant uh, where the, the, the sisters Mendoza cook and I think they told me, you know, you are the first person that brings a guajolote inside the restaurant not to be cooked but to be given water <laughs> and believe me my friend, $10 for a bottle of Evian, give me a break Finally, when I took it to the hotel, to Oaxaca, and they cook it the day after, and they made four soups and four different types of mole with a beautiful female guajolote. This was almost like a children's book until that twist ending. Uh, yeah. You're the only person who fed Evian to a turkey, yeah, only to make a beautiful mole out of it. I think we need to transform this into a children's book, like Charlotte's Web, very much. 
<laughs> but I don't know because actually I enjoy the guajolote so much. And I, maybe we can sell that the guajolote gave his life to feed uh, the needs of learningship of a chef that dream of having a true mole of guajolote. And anyway, why are we talking about Oaxaca? Ah, yeah, because they made Um So listen, Jose, you're in town. The photo is almost a, about to be. For a very important reason, though. Tomorrow you have a book coming out. We've had an island about your adventures in Puerto Rico. Congratulations. Yeah. This is huge. Thank you. You know, Matt and I have talked about you a lot with Tony. Uh, just as, as, as it happens, you're a, a, a guy that everybody wants to kind of talk about. And we knew that Tony had this relationship with you. This thing that Tony loved about you that I think he saw in himself, you get the things done that he wants to see in the world. You just had very similar goals, objectives, desires. Tony was always gonna be the, 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 the rebel poet, not the guy who's actually making this shit happen. And that's what's so amazing about, we've had an island at least is like, there's a document of what that philosophy in action is, yeah. right? It's not just saying like, we wanna be more inclusive, but like you're saying, we, we wanna build things. Um, I think he always appreciated that, you know. I had my little three years of, of TV fame uh, at the maximum level in Spain when all of a sudden I did a show that nobody expected and all of a sudden became prime time and became one of the most watched shows with 23% share. And one day I wake up in the morning and I said, no more. And I like everybody was like, why no more? Like, because I want to be doing other things. And other things were family, friends, business, my restaurant. Uh, I think Tony always gave me a good word of wisdom that everybody finds what they're best at life and how they enjoy life better. In the case of We Fed an Island, it was this moment in life that we forgot an island of three and a half million Americans. Hmm. Uh, and what I mean forgotten, obviously, was many good people that tried to do their best. But in those moments, trying to do the best is not enough. Even if Maria was a disaster, creativity will allow you to adapt, to fix the unforeseen circumstances that created the mess that Puerto Rico became. Yeah. And I think what we did, and that's what Tony, I think, was so proud of, is that we were a group of cooks, that we used our creativity in our kitchens to feed the few, but in this case, to go into Puerto Rico and use that same creativity to feed the many. It's a mess, we're gonna make it into an opportunity. And that's what you're gonna see in the book, how a group of chefs, of cooks, of people, uh, against all odds, kind of, we transform a mess into an opportunity. And we didn't feed everybody, but we fed a lot of people. And more important, we kind of create the spark to make others fix problems that they they were able to fix uh, but we had between three and five thousand people die and I have a feeling like if the federal government activated their help quicker and faster maybe the number will be smaller we will never know and that's the sad part of this whole story I mean I think especially when we started seeing those numbers come out you realized how fragile life was after the storm and that's where you start to think like the, the work that you were doing was actually saving lives. Like that number, whatever it is, would have been higher if people weren't getting meals in the way that they were. 
it seemed so simple, but nobody was doing it. And ultimately, the idea of activating kitchens that are already there, getting local people to work on saving themselves is like, it's like very revolutionary. We had the plan. I had the plan to feed over a million people a day. And it still doesn't sound crazy. I knew I could do it. I wish I got the support. Indirectly, we did it. Why? Because from day one, I wanted to activate the biggest catering company in the island, and everybody told me, you are crazy. Hmm. At the end of the day, even it took a few weeks for that to happen. Uh, uh, I thought I was going to do it through World Central Kitchen, but at the end, it's okay. FEMA activated that catering company. Really? And during a few weeks, they were able to be doing 100,000 meals a day. Hmm. Still, they fall short because they were supposed to do it earlier, yeah. faster, and they were supposed to arrive to quarter million. That is the true potential of that catering company. Hmm. Then we were able to help uh, kind of activate indirectly the kitchens that the school system of Puerto Rico had through the secretary Kelleher, who she is a woman that I think was one of the great leaders in this ordeal. And we kind of did a video with her that was posted on Facebook, almost l telling every single school uh, director to activate the kitchens if they could listen to that message mm. and to produce as many meals as they could every day with the chefs they had. Because the kitchens in the schools, they were amazing. And they had more than 900 schools across the island. So if everyone only did two, three, 400 meals, those were a lot of meals. Plus what we did. Yeah. As then many other little restaurants that in their own communities began a few weeks later, start producing foods. At the end, indirectly, was many meals done, plus the foods that FEMA were delivering. Uh, at the end, we could only do uh, 120 to 150,000 meals a day for a few weeks, but I wish we reached that full million because maybe instead of 3,000 official deaths, as the Puerto Rican government is claiming right now, Maybe we will be talking half of that. I don't mm. know. Yeah. What we did was not only feeding people. What we did was contacting people and learning their issues mm. and learning their problems. That means intelligence. With intelligence, allow us to make smart decisions. Yeah. If at the end of the day, giving aid to Americans is dropping a helicopter right. <laughs> and putting and putting one million portions of food in the middle of an open field, you you think you're doing something, yeah. but actually you are only throwing food at the problem instead of investing into the solution. By bringing food daily, yeah. we gather important intelligence. At the end of the day, World Central Kitchen was delivering food, but also was delivering blue tarps. Sometimes we were delivering generators. Sometimes mm. we were delivering beds for elderly that had no beds yeah. because the hurricane took them away and they were 80 and 90 years old. And sometimes we were bringing medicines. At the end, we were doing more than only feeding the body and the stomach, but we were feeding the souls. I want to uh, bring it back to Mr. Bourdain here just because he always says the best. I feel like he deserves one of the last words on this particular topic, Jose. But on the back of the book, right below uh, President Bill Clinton's extraordinary praise for what you guys did there, um, Tony had this to say. When disaster hit Puerto Rico, Jose Andres didn't wait. He just showed up and using what resources he found there and what he could draw from elsewhere, was soon feeding tens of thousands of people, eventually providing more meals than either FEMA or the Red Cross. His big heart and boundless energy could not be restrained by red tape. 
People were hungry, and Jose is a chef. Chefs feed people. He, better than anyone, understood that. He is a leader, an innovator, and a true hero. Hmm. A lot of truth there. So, um, to have you here a few hours before your book is officially on sale and be able to spend some time with you today is um, This is really as good special. as it gets. I couldn't be with any better people than you two. And now especially I will take you more seriously after your Emmy Award. Um, before I didn't take you so seriously, but now <laughs> I think with that trophy in your hands, yeah, no, maybe finally I will say, well, shit, you're a big shit after all. Poor uh, Well, guys, again, uh, well deserved. Uh, you believe in Tony, but more important, Tony, you believe in you and, and you did it. And you, you deserve it. Oh, thank you, Jose. I appreciate that. Certainly hope there's some truth there. Um, I'm going to sign off and go and weep a little bit. Um. Yeah, this is the longest <laughs> podcast in the history of mankind. Uh, I think one day we're going to do a podcast that we will start and we will never stop. <laughs> and we'll see how many of you join and how many of you go away. And in the process, we'll have many mezcal bottles. I We only fi finished one, 46.3% uh, alcohol content. And we are still talking English, people. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jose. Thank you, Matt, my partner. Uh, thank you, Tony. Yeah. Let's go do the things that we do. A lot of work to do ahead, guys. Let's get after it. This episode of The Trip from Roads and Kingdoms was made by executive producer Josie Holtzman, produced by Future Projects, edited by Taffy Mukunyadze, music as always by Dan the Automator, podcast art by Adele Rodriguez. You can buy Jose's book, We Fed an Island, everywhere books are sold. This week on RoadsandKingdoms.com, read Saba Intiaz's story about the majesty of Black Forest cake in Lahore and what it tells her about the new Pakistan. Next up on the trip, I sit and drink yet again, this time in northern Russia, with Azia Hramchenkova, owner of the legendary St. Petersburg bar, Kroniki. I'll meet you there. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.